As Paul has said, we are looking at the title of Followers of Jesus Then and Now, and we're going to be exploring uh, the Gospel of Mark. Now, uh, an email went out, hopefully to all or most of you here at the beginning of the week, and it gave you a section of Mark's Gospel suggested uh, to read through, and also a link to a video. So can I just have a quick show of hands who's actually watched the video? Yes, that's kind of what I thought from looking at the video watch count. Not everybody. So can I just um, recommend that you do click on those links every week? Uh, Just to say uh, the extracts, it's for the first five weeks of this series, we're going to be sending out a little video link. uh, And they are edited bits from The Chosen um, TV series. And if you haven't watched The Chosen, I would thoroughly recommend you watch The Chosen. And people say, well, how can I get it? It's on Netflix, it's on Amazon. It's on its own channel. So if you go, if you've got a smart TV in your apps bit for the smart TV, search for The Chosen. And if you've got an up-to-date smart TV, it's got its own app that will appear on your smart TV. Otherwise, you can watch it on a laptop on watch.angelstudios.com or on your phone. If you look in wherever you get your apps from, search for The Chosen or Angel Studios and you will find it there. And I completely and thoroughly recommend that you start watching that series to help this whole thing of the stories of Jesus come to life in a fresh way. And that's why we've sent out the clips. And the clip this week um, dealt with a particular story from Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, that, because I knew that everyone hadn't watched it, I'm going to ask if Anthea can read the story again this morning. Mark, chapter 2. Jesus went back again to Capernaum, where after a few days... Word got around that he was at home. A crowd gathered so that people couldn't even get near the door as he was telling them the message. A party arrived, four people carrying a paralyzed man, bringing him to Jesus. But they couldn't get through to him because of the crowd. So they opened up the roof above where he was, and when they had dug down through it, they used ropes to let down the nature the paralyzed man was lying on. And Jesus saw their faith and said to the paralyzed man, Child, your sins are forgiven. How dare the fellow speak like this, grumbled some of the legal experts among themselves. It's blasphemy. Who can forgive sins except God? Jesus knew at once in his spirit that thoughts like this were in the air. Why do your hearts tell you to think that, he asked. Answer me this, he went on. Is it easier to say to this cripple, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your stretcher, and walk? You want to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins? He turned to the paralytic. I tell you, he said, get up, take your stretcher, and go home. And he got up, picked up the stretcher in a flash, and went out before them all. And everyone was astonished, and they praised God. We've never seen anything like this, they said. Great. Thanks, Anthea. She does that really well, doesn't she, by the way, just to acknowledge that. Yeah, yeah, why not? I think we can applaud things like that. So um, we're going to be looking at that story uh, in just a few minutes because it encapsulates um, some points I want to make. And those of you playing Andy Reid's Sunday Talk Bingo, yes, there are three points this morning. But they don't all begin with the same letter. So I'm afraid you don't get a mark for that one this morning. Though they have all got the same end of the word. So anyway, 
Hopefully that will still be easy to remember. So why this title? Well, as Paul has said, we want to look at what following Jesus looks like. Um, we do, don't we? We do want to know what following Jesus looks like, I, I, I hope. And if, even if you're just curious about that, that's an interesting thing to look at. Uh, and we want to look at what it meant for the first disciples and look at that, you know, try and really get under the skin of that and um, look at that in a fresh way, perhaps. And then ask that question, what could that mean for us? These first disciples were so captivated by Jesus, what he did and his message, that many of them just sort of abandoned everything else they were doing and followed him. And, that, and, and then, well, as we were seeing, crowds also did that. So... Um, Mark's Gospel. Why Mark's Gospel? Well, we could have chosen um, any one of four, <laughs> obviously, but we've chosen this one. It's nice and short and condensed, and we can read all of it very easily. Um, a bit of an overview about the Gospel, and for this, by the way, I'm indebted to uh, Professor N.T. Wright. Doctor, is he doctor or professor? Anyway, N.T. Wright, or Tom Wright, um, as he is uh, with some of the books he has written, and if you want to hear any of this in a better way, in terms of a bit of an exploration about the background of the gospel, he has his own YouTube channel, so you can look at N.T. Wright online on YouTube. And, and he makes the point in, in one of the videos I watched that it is important to pay attention to what is specific for each gospel. There's a reason why there's four, you know? Um, Ever thought about that? You know, God could have arranged it so there's just one, but there is a reason for each one. They've each got a different sort of flavor, and there are things that are specific to each gospel. And the other point that Tom Wright made, which I'd never really thought about, and that is before the gospels were written down, there was no other literature quite like that. There were other biographies, of course, but they weren't like. The Gospels, as, as he said, a lecturer at, when he was at university uh, used to say to his students, if you were the keeper of the great library of Alexandria and someone turned up with the Gospel of Mark, where would you put it? What shelf on your, in your Dewey Decimal System or whatever they had in Alexandria, what, what shelf would you place it on? Is it a biography? Well, no, it's not just a bi It's a sort of biography. But it's also a book that talks about a fulfillment of the story of Israel. It's bigger than just one person's biography. But it's also about how God's kingdom on earth was launched and, and a new community was created from that. But it's not just that. It's also a book that invites a response from the readers. It's all of those things. Uh, and as Tom White said, by the time he got four of them, the librarian would probably say, okay, I'm just going to create a new shelf for this. <laughs> and each gospel does have its own flavor. And again, uh, I heard this from someone. I can't remember now where I first heard this. But if you sort of consider each of the four gospels, first of all, we've got Matthew's gospel. And Matthew's gospel is very detailed. So imagine that each of the gospel writers were washed up with a group of people on a desert island. What are they going to do? And Matthew would want to draw a map. He wants to know how they got there in the first place, and he wants to map out in detail where they're going. 
because, you know, Matthew's Gospel, you get a lot of reference back to the Old Testament and how things, lots and lots of what we would call proof texts and stuff throughout Matthew's Gospel. It's very, very structured. And you get fascinating insight into a possible idea of what Matthew was like if you watched The Chosen. So, yeah, so Matthew would, the first thing he would do would be create a map. How about Luke? Well, Luke would want to gather everyone together. He would want to make sure that everyone, the vulnerable, are gathered together. He would want to make sure that you're taking everyone together, forward together. You group them all together. Because Matthew has a lot of stuff that is about the underdog or the people who were oppressed or people who were, you know, people being accepted into the kingdom of God that otherwise would have been rejected or on the margins. Sorry, I meant Luke. Thank you, my wife over there. Luke's gospel. How about John? Well, <laughs> in this illustration, John would really just want to go up a mountain, <laughs> have a look at the big picture and chill a bit. <laughs> but how about Mark? Well, Mark would grab a machete <laughs> and he would start hacking his way through the jungle straight away. He would take the most direct route. Now, actually, that's a bit of an oversimplification because it, it sort of implies that, that Mark hasn't really got structure in the way that Matthew has. And he, he has got structure. And it implies, you know, other things we've said about the other gospel writers aren't true for Mark. And they are true for Mark. It's just, but it is shorter. It is more direct. It is punchy, as we will be seeing in a moment. Who wrote Mark's gospel? Well, actually, nowhere in the book does it say. <laughs> so we're sort of having to rely on early, and some of it is very early church tradition. Because the author isn't actually named. It's not signed off, you know. The tradition is that Mark the Evangelist, as he tends to be called, who wrote the gospel, is the same person as John, also known as Mark, or John Mark, who does get mentioned in the New Testament. There's no actual proof of that, but again, that's the early tradition, that it was this guy, John Mark. So who is this guy, John Mark? Well, in 1 Peter 5, verse 13, Peter talks about someone he calls his son, but that doesn't necessarily mean biological son. In fact, it probably means my disciple, you know, the, the person I've brought along, I've mentored. And he talks about this guy, Mark, who is this son of his. And at that time, this person, Mark, is with Peter, most pr probably in prison from where he's writing this epistle in, it says Babylon, but that was symbolic for Rome. So Peter is probably in prison and he's got this guy, Mark. So there is Peter has a relationship with this person, Mark. Acts 12.12, Peter escapes from prison in Jerusalem and he goes to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. So we've got this early connection between Peter and Mark stroke John Mark. Colossians 4.10, Paul says that John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. And some of you will remember the story that's in Acts that this John Mark traveled with Paul and Barnabas. 
But then when Barnabas wanted to take him again, Paul disagreed with that for reasons we don't know. And so Barnabas goes off with John Mark and Paul goes in another direction. So there's this guy, John Mark, associate with Paul and Barnabas, related in some way to Barnabas. Cousin could be a very loose expression, but also a disciple in time of Peter. And the early church tradition, which goes from a guy called Papias, in, who was born around 60 to 70 AD and was writing in the early 2nd century, is that Mark worked with Peter and wrote everything down as Peter preached it. As Peter told the stories of Jesus, Mark wrote them down. And when Peter was martyred, Mark carried on telling the same stories from his notes, from what he'd written down. And this becomes the Gospel of Mark. And that is quite an early tradition, as things go, historically speaking. Uh, this guy, Papias, he wasn't an apostle himself, but he probably knew people who knew the apostles, given the chronology of when he lived. So, we don't know, but it's probable. What are some of the key themes of this gospel? Good news. We get that very, very early on. It starts in verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophets, and then there's a quote from the Old Testament. Beginning. What does that mean? Well, it could just mean it's the start of the book. <laughs> this is the start of my book. But also, it's, it's obviously he's saying it's the beginning of a story. It's the beginning of the story of Jesus. This is where it starts, but we can maybe take the implication, how's it going to develop? Where's it going to end? Has it ended? This is just the beginning. It's carrying on. Where does it start? Well, it starts for Mark in the Old Testament, because he, he immediately quotes the Old Testament and says, this is where we're coming from. Then he tells us a little bit in chapter 1 about John's ministry. It's kind of the conclusion of the Old Testament ministry, as it were. And then, Jesus. And in verse 15, when Jesus starts his ministry, when he starts preaching, there's a very clear, a very simple, and a very powerful message. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time is fulfilled. All that the Old Testament has pointed to, all that we've been expecting, all that we've been waiting for, it's now fulfilled, Jesus says. This is the good news. We're not, we're not in a time of waiting any longer. We're not in a time of longing any longer. The kingdom of God is here. Right now. Right here. Right now. Right here. Right now. So, Jesus says, respond to it. Repent. Change your mindset. Change the direction you're walking in. And believe. And I hope you've picked up from the way I'm telling this. There is an immediacy, an urgency to this that Mark reinforces 
really powerfully in these opening chapters. You know, there's sort of two, two well, there's lots of to- sorts of film, but here's two sorts of film. First of all, there's the sort of film that tends to win awards, and I don't particularly like. <laughs> but it's, it's the films that, that sort of evoke lots of atmosphere. You know, they get praised for all the amazing atmospheric feeling of the film, from, from the scenery, from the wonderful cinematography, from the wonderful way in which characters are portrayed and the development of their character. They don't have much of a story in my experience, but, but they do have this. Now, I'm told, though I've not actually watched it, The Banshees of Inishirin is, is a bit like that. Is it not? No. Well, it's a wonderful film, but it is like that, isn't it? Yeah, not my sort of film. Just like, yeah, and I read one reviewer saying that's two hours I'm not going to get back. So, um, and, uh, and then there's another sort of film, a Bond movie. <laughs> right from the word go, bang, you're straight in. Action, 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 action. Mark's Gospel is a Bond movie. Chapter 1, verse 10. Now, there's one word that crops up over and over and over again, depending on which um, translation you're you're reading. But it's the same word, basically, or same couple of words in the Greek. Chapter 1, verse 10. Immediately. Chapter 1, verse 12. Immediately. Chapter 1, verse 18. Immediately. Chapter 1, verse 20. Immediately. Chapter 1, verse 21. Immediately. Chapter 1, verse 29. As soon as. Chapter 1, verse 31, immediately. Chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus gets up very early after a whole lot of ministry and said, right, time to move on. Chapter 1, verse 42, immediately. Chapter 2, verse 2, immediately. Chapter 2, verse 8, immediately. And in between all those immediately's, there's a whole lot of action. This, then that, then that, then that, then that, then that, then that. Now, if you read carefully, it's obviously not consecutive days, necessarily, although some of it might be. But Mark is wanting to give an atmosphere. He is wanting to create an impression, and that is, the time is fulfilled. Now let's get going. The kingdom of God is here. So, how do people respond to that? And we get a little microcosm of that in that story that's just been read. And if you do go back and watch the video, which I thoroughly recommend, it's even clearer there. And and we see some typical responses in these opening chapters and verses that do set some models in place that persist throughout the gospel, I think. The first one, these are all shun words. And the first one is attraction. There's an attraction to this message, to this good news. Starts with the disciples, Simon, Andrew, James, John, later in chapter 2, Matthew. They are attracted to this Jesus in an amazing way. You know, it's really brief in the Gospel of Mark, and and indeed all the Gospel, we don't get an awful lot of background as to exactly what it is that they see and hear. We can piece it together a bit by reading all four, but it is an amazing response. 
An amazing response. There is an attraction to this man, to this message. And then there's the people in the synagogue in chapter 1, verses 23 to 28. And we haven't got time to read it through, but basically... Jesus is there in the synagogue, and a man starts crying out, and it variously described, depending on your translation, as a man possessed or a man with an unclean spirit. We'll come back to that in a moment. But Jesus deals with this interruption, with this opposition, and it says the people are amazed. There's an attraction there. They're impressed. Um, and arising from that, it says the whole city, the whole of Capernaum is stirred up. And, and Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. And then a prayer line t- <laughs> gathers outside the house. And it, it says it's like the whole city. And in chapter 3, verse 7, it talks about a great multitude from all of Galilee. This makes a splash. There's an attraction. And I'm sure there's all sorts of reasons that people came. Just as there would be now. People are looking for an answer in life. Some people are just curious. Some people it's the latest spectacle. And chapter 1 verse 44 makes it clear that Jesus isn't looking to gather a crowd for the sake of it. He tells someone he's just healed. Don't tell anyone about this. Although the guy ignores the instruction so there's attraction then there's desperation from those who've reached the end of other possibilities for those who really want and need to get to Jesus for those who really recognize their need people who will break conventions to get to Jesus Cutting a hole in a roof wasn't normal. All right, it was a flat roof and people did use the roof. Cutting a hole in someone else's roof would never be normal. This good news is convention breaking in a word that gets used a lot today. In relation to new businesses or marketing, it was disruptive. And so it offends those who are stuck in a previous mindset, as we saw in that story. By the way, Jesus also, in these opening chapters, is convention-breaking, as we heard in that story. But because it's convention-breaking, it leads to confrontation. New mindsets are not always welcome From popularity, we do very quickly get to persecution. And also, in this opening, in chapter 1, in that event in the synagogue, we also very clearly and very early hear from Mark that there is another level of opposition going on. And however we completely understand that, for Mark, it's very clear there is a spiritual battle going on right from the word go. This is... Again, I've heard this described as a boxing match (laughs) that Mark is describing. Power, Jesus does this. Power, Jesus does that. The enemy comes back, uh, but power, Jesus hits him again. It is a battle that Jesus wins again and again, but it is a battle. So we get attraction, desperation, 
confrontation. And how about us? What is our response to Jesus? Is there an attraction? I hope so. But does it go beyond attraction? Or are we sort of fairly comfortable, really? But, you know, this is attractive. Is there a desperation in us? Scott, I wonder if you'd come up and start playing. That would be great. What is our response to this kingdom of God? I guess for most of us, we wouldn't be here if we hadn't made some sort of response. But I want to encourage us all. I've been impacted afresh, challenged urgency, the immediacy, the simplicity, the power of the message that the kingdom of God's here now. I want to encourage us as we go through this series to be open to being challenged afresh about our response. Is it just attraction? Is there a desperation hmm, in our hearts? Are we observers or followers? Last week I, I did a song when I was leading worship. I've actually asked Scott, and thank you Scott for humoring me on this um i'd like to do again it's, this is the air i breathe and it's got a line in it i'm desperate for you the guy coming to jesus seeking healing and his friends who were helping him there was a desperation to get to jesus is there a desperation in our heart to get to jesus that will break conventions will break conventions that will abandon everything else to follow this man because the time is come the kingdom of God is here change your mindset believe